0: Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God. Today I want to talk about India, prophecies, and the possibility of the beast of Revelation rising up in 2025 or shortly thereafter. Now, there's 1.2 billion people who live in India, and it turns out most of them are Hindus. Now, there's also Indians in many other countries, uh, uh, where there are majorities in places like Bangladesh, uh, Pakistan and uh, Sri Lanka. In fact, that last place, my wife and I visited the Feast of Tabernacles a long time ago. Well, one thing people have wondered is, will most of these Indian people at least cooperate for a time with the coming European beast power that is warned about in Revelation 13? And if so, why would they do it? And does the Bible teach that they're actually going to support the false prophet and the Antichrist? And are there steps to try to bring them in already? And I also want to look at, uh, not just some scriptures, but some of the stuff that's going on in the interfaith movement, as well as certain prophecies from both Hindu sources and Roman Catholic sources. And reach the idea of the possibility that the Great Tribulation could come as early as 2025, and why that's actually consistent with... uh, some biblical writings or biblical understandings, as well as uh, some Hindu prophecies. Now, first of all, I'd like to go to a passage that most of you are familiar with. This would be Revelation chapter 13. And so you might want to go over there. In Revelation chapter 13, starting in verse 1, we see that uh, John says he stood on the sand of the sea. And he saw a beast rising out of the sea, he had seven heads and ten horns, and on his horn, ten crowns. And on his head, a blasphemous name. And it was kind of like a leopard's feet were like a bear. Mouth like a lion. It says the dragon, that's Satan, the devil. Gave him power and his throne. And great authority. And you see, one of his heads, like it had been mortally wounded. And the deadly wound was healed. And so we've got a, either a reference to Europe itself looking like it died. And resurrects back up as well as the actual leader who perhaps looked like he was written off, who will rise up. The next part is where we start to consider perhaps India could be involved because an all the world marveled and followed the beast. So a European power is going to rise up with a leader and people would be marveled because they don't expect to happen what's going to happen. So verse 4, notice they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. They worship the beast, saying, who's like the beast? Who's able to make war with him? And this will be after this particular beast power has done things such as launch a successful attack against uh, the United States and its uh, British descended allies. We continue uh, with this beast. We see he's giving a mouth to speak great things and blasphemies. He has authority to continue for 42 months. So it's three and a half years. And he opened his mouth and blasphemed against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacles, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted with him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. So this beast is going to be a persecuting power. It says authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. That would include India. Verse 8 All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the uh, book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Whoever's got an earlet, I'm here. He who leads an activity is going to, into captivity is going to go into captivity, which by the way will include uh, uh, many of the American and British descended peoples. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here's the patient faith of the saints. But then there's another beast that's going to rise up. And this particular beast has two horns, like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It's going to have uh, the authority of the first beast. It's going to cause the earth and those who dwell on it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So somebody's going to rise up. Now, this is the false prophet, the Antichrist, to get people to worship the beast. And there'll be various signs and lying wonders. He performs great signs. He makes fire come down from heaven and the earth in the sight of men. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he is granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast could both speak and cause as many would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Well, this clearly includes people in India, now the second most populous nation on the planet. Now, people in India and elsewhere, according to 2 Thessalonians, are going to be deceived by signs and lying wonders. So I'm going to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and uh, start reading the verse 9. The coming of the lawless one, that's this beast, is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in righteousness. They don't have to go there, but Jesus said, In Matthew 24, verses 24 to 25, false christs and prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the elect, see I told you beforehand. So one of the reasons to do this sermon is, for anybody of Indian heritage who watches this, to know beforehand that scriptures warn about these things. But signs and wonders are going to be factors to get the people in India to follow the beast. Now the beast and the false prophet and these are going to be European leaders. Now this beast of the sea is also called the King of the North in Daniel chapter 11. He also seems to be the same person that Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox prophecies call the great monarch. Now there are some Catholic writings and prophecies, Roman Catholic writings, about the Indian people. Now, first, before I get to them, I want to mention that the term pagans that they use is normally used to refer to people who worship many gods and idols. And that term has been applied to those of the Hindu faith. So, first, I want to mention that there was a mystic by the name of Bridget, Catholic, Roman Catholic saint. And in the 14th century, she said, before Antichrist comes, the portals of faith will be opened to a great number of pagans. Now, I'm not going to go into this now, but many Roman Catholic prophecies consider that when Jesus comes, Jesus is going to be the Antichrist. By the way, not all Roman Catholic prophecies feel that way, but some of them do. So, there's, this prophecy seems to be saying before Jesus comes, a lot of people who are worshipping idols are going to become part of the Roman Catholic faith. Now, my wife and I have been to various places around the world, and we've been to the Hindu temples. Uh, and they have idols all over them. I've been at least three countries we've been to out of the U.S. that uh, they've, had, they've had them. Now, Catholics have other prophecies. For example, their venerable Magdalene Porzet, who died in 1850, says the great monarch, the beast, will restore dominions, uh, there will be a supreme Pontiff, the whole world will be united and prosperous. One faith, one emperor reigns over the whole earth. And so, you know, the Bible warns that the beast is gonna have power over all the nations, and this is what we're seeing here. Now, there was a Catholic cardinal by the name of Roque in the 18th century who said a regeneration of faith will appear in Asia. If you look on a map, basically, India is the center of Asia. That was the south center, anyway. They also have a, a prophetess by the name of Elizabeth Canora Mara, who died in 1825, he says it would be a glorious triumph reserved for the Catholic Church. All men will become Catholics, and, and acknowledge the Pope as a victor of Christ. Alphonse Eppinger, another Roman Catholic, in 1867 said, after God's purified the world, faith and peace will return, whole nations will here to the teachings of the Catholic Church. And this is supposed to include the Indians. Now I want to get something more specific. There's Pope Leo Thirteenth in 1893. He talked about the Orient and he says we've got a noble purpose in mind. We want to take care of the preservation, the propagation, of the Catholic religion among the Hindus. A Hindu clergy has to be formed that could administer the sacraments and govern the Christian people properly, no matter how menacing at times. Be sure the role of Christianity in such remote regions becomes well-known. Make your people understand that something must be done for the Hindus. Now, the reality is that the there will be an acceptance of a changed religion calling itself Roman Catholic or some version of Catholicism. And the Indians will accept this for a time. And I'll also comment, I'm not going to read all this, but they have several thing, reasons. Catholics have been using, for example, uh, Mary. And there was a, an apparition in uh, 1917 that appeared in uh, Fatima, Portugal. And they made a statue of it. And it's called the Pilgrim Statue of Our Lady of Fatima and according to the late Archbishop uh, Fulton Sheen said it was car- that statue was carried throughout the east mm-hmm. at the edge of Nepal Catholics were joined by Hindus and Muslims and missionaries in the future he said will more and more be successful as they preach Our Lady of Fatima and he also said that the Brahma Hindu governor of uh, the province of Patma, visited the church and prayed before the statue of Our Lady. In a tiny village of Kestramek, more than 24,000 people came to see the statue. Now that was not an isolated incident. There was a group of Hindus who actually went to Fatima in uh, 2004. And let me read something about this. Hindus were allowed to Conduct a pagan prayer chant at the altar in the sanctuary of the little chapel of the apparitions on may fifth two thousand and four national television station in Portugal broadcast a group of Hindus from Lisbon was allowed to commandeer the shrine for a pagan prayer chant with the Hindu priest standing at the Catholic altar invoking false gods in the name of peace while the Hindu congregation in the little chapel responded with a chant this desecration this is desecration since sacred scripture teaches that the gods of the Gentiles are devils. Now, obviously, that particular ceremony upset some Roman Catholics, but the fact is, it was allowed to happen. And I also went through and saw that uh, there are a lot of uh, Indians who, uh, in 2013, uh, revere, quote, Mother Mary. It's from a, a Catholic News Agency article. And... There's uh, something from uh, Zenit.org, which is a pro Vatican source, and it basically says that um, they want to restore interreligious trust. That so says the Bishop of uh, Orissa, and this is what they want to do. And Bishop Nyack also himself said, another Roman Catholic, building up solidarity locally among the different groups of different religions will be. So the first to build lost trust, to bring back so we can live together and that will lead be the first priority. So in other words, the Catholics still have a plan. They want to live together with the Hindus and try to get closer to them. Now I'd like to read something from Vatican Radio from 2016. Indian writer and activist Sudhindra Kolkarni, was one of the 450 Religious representatives of various faiths at the World Day for Prayer for Peace. Kulkarni, who's a Hindu faith, uh, heads the Observer Research Foundation, an independent think tank based in India. He's particularly concerned with interfaith dialogue, specifically India Pakistan dialogue for peace and cooperation. He told Vatican Radio that this mission, World Day of Peace mission, is more relevant than ever. Then he said, he specifically said, Pope Francis is at one level the head of the Catholic Church in the world, but another level is the moral conscious keeper of the world. This is for really Hindu. His message is for the entire humanity. Today, he's one of those rare voices of the world reminding us that we have to change the world. We have to change the world the way the poor respected, the poor have justice, the poor can live in a secure world. Second, he's one of the great global leaders who are speaking very spiritedly for the protection of ecology. He's in fact known as the Green Pope, and we in India respect him for this. We'll be very happy to see Pope Francis uh, visit India at his earliest opportunity. Now, I've warned for years that the Hindus would temporarily accept the Vatican's future ecumenical interfaith plans, and we're seeing more and more of this. Now, I'd like to read something from 2019. The typical council for interreligious dialogue has released a message for the Hindu festival uh, Deepavali, or Diwali, the festival of light. As believers grounded in their own religious convictions, with shared concern for the welfare of the human family, may we rejoin hand with those of different religious traditions, and all people of goodwill strive to do what we can, shared responsibility for a more peaceful uh, fraternal society. Now, symbolically, this is according to Vatican News. Diwali celebrates the victory of light over darkness, truth over lies, life over death, good over evil. So it seems like this Hindu festival is somewhat acceptable to the Hindus. Now, I was at a, a kind of a Hindu website, and it says, Hinduism supports a trinity. And, you know, it's probably not much of a stretch for Hindus to be taught, told by the Vatican that Brahma, their god of creation, is either Je- the father or the son of God uh, Brahma had a, a, a son named Atman, who was with him, and vice versa, so maybe Atman would be considered the son. There's also somebody called uh, Kunti. who's one of five uh, revered virgins in Hinduism. You've got some type of virgin birth stuff, kind of like this old Mary stuff. And there's also something called a mother goddess in Hinduism called Pravati Devi, it's also be claimed something they call Shakti, is the Holy Spirit. Shakti is supposed to be a goddess, but I'm sure Catholics probably wouldn't mind pointing out to the Hindus that the Hebrew word for spirit in the Old Testament is feminine, gendered feminine. In the New Testament, by the way, it's not masculine, it's neutered. Um, I believe that the final European beast power is going to feign a more compromised version of Roman Catholicism enough to get the Hindus at least go along with it. Now, it's not just going to be goodwill gestures um, uh, and signs and lying wonders that can get people to accept stuff. The Bible talks about uh, controlling, buying, sell, selling. I didn't go into Revelation uh, 17 and 18, but it talks about uh, the merchants of the world become rich from trading through Babylon at the time of the end. So there will be economic pressure as well. And all this will kind of work together to get the the Hindus to support uh, this beast leader for a while. Now it turns out that the Hindus have some prophecies. And so let me read something. Uh, This is from an article. Because they're talking about something uh, that will happen, uh, they say will happen and it kind of ties with the scripture. Now, in the Church of God, we we teach that God has a 7,000 year plan of 6,000 years for humanity to rule itself by itself. And then Jesus will return and reign for 1,000 years. Well, Hinduism actually has 5,000 year cycles. Uh, and they, the last one started about 1,000 years after Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden. So that the end of the Hindu 5,000 years and the biblical 6,000 years pretty much the same time. Very close to one another. So let me read something from a Hindu uh, article called Kali Yuga Ends by 2025. Lord Krishna says that Kali Yuga will end 5,000 years after its beginning giving way to the Golden Age. Hindus believe that human civilization degenerates spiritually during the Kali Yuga, which is referred to as the Dark Age, because people in it are as far removed as possible from God. We wouldn't word it exactly that way, but this is similar to certain things that the Bible teaches. The timeline also indicates that the ascending Kali Yuga, which is the current epoch which we're all living, will end in 2025. Now some believe that we'll put in a new utopian age then, but that's a little early for that. Uh, other Hindu writings say, wait, when this new age starts, this this new leader is not going to be a good one. There was a Hindu from India named uh, Vijay Kumar and he claims, for society to climb back to its pristine glory of the golden era, even a meek will handle metal. Pick up arms. and In the last phase of the Kali Yuga we are passing through. People wait with a bated breath the coming of the Bhagwan Kalki. Now let me stop back on this. Okay, I just went from something called Kali Yuga to Bhagwan Kalki. The Kali Yuga is this particular epic of time that's supposed to be ending uh, in 2025 according to certain Hindu interpretations. And a leader is supposed to rise up called the Bhagwan Kalki. One who delivers the mankind from the existing ills of today. Bhagwan Kalki would be a spiritual master of the highest order with a deadly combination of a wise dictator. Well he's deadly because you're supposed to take up arms to support him. And it's a warring power he who's he's talking about it. Uh, let me read something else from another source about the avatar called the Bhagwan Kalki. For this, this is from something called Bhagavad Gita, book 6, sutra 5, 7 to 8, Hindu writing. For the salvation of the righteous and destruction of such as do evil, for the firm establishing of the law, I come to birth age after age, I'll read something from a Hindu prophecy book. In all, the Hindu text of Kalki Purana is composed of 6100 verses describing Kalki, who is considered to be the last avatar or incarnation of Vishnu, or the supreme being, who will establish the age of truth and purity on the earth. As agreed by all religious prophecies, the awaited one will not be a man of peace like Jesus or Buddha, but a man of war who will destroy evil and establish righteousness on the earth. It's one of the reasons I read Revelation 13 at the beginning. Verse 4, people say, Who's like the beast? So this will make war like him. And he's ruling over the earth. And you've got Hindu prophecies saying, Somebody's going to rise up. He will be a warring person. And he will bring some version of peace, <laughs> which is strange. Now, I'm going to read a couple of other things that I found interesting. When I first heard about this Bhagwan Kalki stuff, this is back probably in 2008 or 9, when I started to look into it, it occurred to me that perhaps it wouldn't have to be a Hindu or an Indian leader who this Bhagwan Kalki is. Well, in 2016, uh, there's an article that uh, some say that uh, Hindus would worship Donald Trump as the Kalki. This is from 2016. Here's, something, here's one reason. Trump has said Muslims should be banned from entering America. Everyone should support that, said Hindu the leader Vishnu Gupta. Okay. Trump is about to become the king of the world. More than the king of the world, my brown friend, Trump is Kalki, the last avatar of Vishnu. He will cleanse the world and end the age of darkness, the Kali Yuga, and restore the divine order of the mortal realm. Now, it's bizarre as that says. Let me read something else. A Hindu fringe group celebrated the 70th birthday of Donald Trump. This is 2016. Calling U.S. presidential contender the savior of hu- humanity. 20 members of far-right Hindu SENA, Hindu army, held festivities. Trump has said Muslims should be banned. I mentioned that. He's going to become the king of the uh, world. How could we attack uh, Pakistan without his support, uh, which is absurd. Of course, Donald Trump was was not and is not the Savior of the world. Jesus is. Uh, you don't have to go there at Ephesians 5.23. Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Anyway, I don't believe that the Bhagwan Kalki is Donald Trump. But this supports a view that I've had for a long time. Donald Trump's not Hindu, he's not Indian. He's of uh, British, European type heritage. So, I find it interesting because, as far as I can determine, he is willing to uh, be a person that they think could be the Kalki. Now, I'm going to hold up the front cover of the Bible News Prophecy Magazine, Continuing Church of God. And you can see a picture of somebody on a white horse who's bowing down before the Bhagwan Kalki. Now, it's true this Bhagwan Kalki shown here is not uh, a white person. But what's interesting is if you look here, this, this one on the white horse does look like a white person. And if you go to Revelation chapter 6, why don't you go there, uh, verses 1 to 2. I'll hold this up as I read this. It says now, when the Lamb opened one of the seals, I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like a, like thunder, "Come and see!" And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it, had a bow, and a crown was given and He went out to conquer and to conquer conquering the conquer, and that's the white horse. And to me, this this uh, Hindu depiction suggests that they will accept the rider of the white horse, the Antichrist worshipping before the Bhagwan Kulki, who again, could be as far as they're concerned, not somebody who's Hindu, not somebody who's Indian. And that would be a European leader. Perhaps I should point out that actually there's Chinese prophecies that the Chinese are looking for uh, leaders to come from the West as well. Um, I do want to say one more thing. It's not just the fact that certain Roman Catholics uh, did, uh, have allowed ceremonies and certain things with the, uh, the Hindus to show that they want to be with them. I want to read some quotes from the woman uh, famously known as Mother Teresa. because She encouraged Hindus to pray to the Bhagwan. Here's some quotes. If, in coming face-to-face with God, we accept Him in our lives, We've become, we become a better Hindu, a better Muslim, a better Catholic. I convert you to be a better Hindu, better Muslim, better Protestant. Once you've found God, it's up to you to decide how to worship Him. And that's actually what's going on with the ecumenical interfaith movement. It isn't that everybody in India is going to worship the Roman Catholic way for everything. They're going to just allow... They're going to accept this guy as a great leader to be deified to some degree, but they're going to allow what they call local customs and traditions and worship. And this is Mother Teresa said this as well. And here's, a, here's a, something else. A co-worker of Mother Teresa's was asked this question. These people are waiting to die. What are you telling them to prepare for death and eternity? Mother Teresa's co worker nun said, We tell them to pray to their Bhagwan, to their gods. Uh, the april seventh to thirteenth, nineteen ninety issue of Radio Times says a story of Mother Teresa taking care of a dying Hindu priest. She nursed him with her own hands and helped him to die reconciled with his gods. Okay, so Hindu priest apparently was a hypocrite of some type, or wasn't following his faith, and she reconciled them to their gods. There's a long history of the Roman Catholic Church trying to compromise with various things. Now I mentioned this stuff about a white horse. Now this illustration was actually put together around 1765, and now there's some other Hindu prophecies that have the Kalki himself riding, the Bhagwan Kalki riding the white horse, but I'd like to read something else uh, from India. The 10th incarnation of Lord Vishnu, who is the Kalki avatar, he is described in Buddhist scriptures as a rider of a white horse in Christian scriptures. So Hindu writings are tying this stuff in. A lot of people do not realize that people will accept this stuff. Uh, my wife and I were uh, in Bali, Indonesia once I asked practicing Hindu because even though Indonesia is the most Muslim country uh, has the most Muslims in any country in the world I think, Bali is mostly, uh, over 80% Hindu, this guy was Hindu and I said look, the Church of Rome wants you guys can it happen? he didn't dismiss it as impossible well, depends how they present it yeah, it can happen, and steps are being taken. Now, I was talking about 2025, and I want to go in some things like this. Was it possible that the 5,000 years for Hindu prophecies ties in with Jewish, biblical, Greco-Roman, and Christian writings about the end of this age coming at the same time? Well, yes, I think that there. I think that there is. I think there's reasons for it. I believe that Satan has inspired various ones throughout the ages to come up with an alternative plan. Okay? We know the Bible says all the world will worship the beast. You've got Hindus saying that their Kalki has to do with a rider of the white horse, just like the Christian literature they say. And the fact that some accepted a, a white Caucasian, Donald Trump as perhaps the Bhagwan Kolki, shortly shows that they, those who believe this could be amenable to the idea of accepting a European leader or two. And the Bible, by the way, says they absolutely will. But the fact that, again, they to Donald Trump back in 2016 shows that there is certainly a willingness to not think, oh, our prophecies are only for a Hindu, dark brown-skinned Hindu leader to rise up. Okay? Now, there's an old tradition that the prophet Elijah said that there would be uh, 6,000 years for humanity to rule over Satan's kingdom, followed by a 1,000 year of Jesus reigning in the kingdom of God. So what I'd like to do now is I'd like to read something from, I've got put, the book up, we've got a book about the gospel of the kingdom of God, from Edward Gibbon's uh, 1776 work called The Decline of and fall of the Roman Empire, he documents things about first-century Christians. Here's what he wrote: The ancient popular doctrine of the millennium was intimately connected with the second coming of Christ. As the works of creation had been fin- finished in six days, their duration in their present state, according to tradition, which was attributed to the prophet Elijah, was fixed to six thousand years. By the same analogy, it was inferred this long period of labor and contention, which was now almost elapsed would be succeeded by a joyful Sabbath of a thousand years, and that Jesus, with a triumphant band of saints and the elect who had escaped death, would been with him miraculously revived, would reign in the earth until the time appointed for the last and general resurrection. Now, I'm holding this particular booklet up because we do talk about the uh, millennial kingdom of God in this particular booklet. Now this booklet, and any other one I hold up, it's available at the www.ccog.org. That's ccog.org website. Go to the literature tab, books and books, You can find it. But this particular booklet, if you just go to ccog.org, if you go further down the page, you'll see over 100 languages are listed, and this book has been translated into over 100 languages, including several languages uh, used uh, by the uh, Indian peoples, various Indian peoples. So now I'd like to uh, go into something from the uh, Jewish tradition. Uh, this is from the uh, Talmud. I'm going to read a couple transla- different translations. It was caught t- excuse me. It was taught in the school of Elijah. The world will endure 6,000 years. 2,000 years in chaos, 2,000 with Torah, 2,000 will be the days of Messiah. Here's another translation of this. This is Sanhedrin 97a, if you want to look this up. The Tanah Elijah Elihu teaches, the world is to exist 6,000 years. In the first 2,000 years, there was desolation. 2,000 years, the Torah flourished. The next 2,000 years is a Messianic era. Now, obviously, we don't want to have Jewish tradition supersede Scripture, but that's certainly interesting because it's certainly consistent the idea of a 6,000-year plan. And the uh, 2,000 years of the days of Messiah. Now, improperly, the Jews have not accepted that Jesus is the Messiah, but they should have. We've got a, a free book, Proof Jesus is the Messiah. It's a fairly long book. It's got hundreds of scriptures from the Old Testament, and it also confirmed by things in the New Testament explaining why Jesus is the Messiah. Also has a chapter explaining why Jews should have accepted it. Even these writings I just read from the Talmud, said 2,000 years for the Messiah. Well, Jesus came, Jesus was on the earth 2,000 years ago. The last 2,000 years, roughly from the time well, from the time he uh, uh, was resurrected is, is almost up. So, we could call this, we would call this the Church Age, but some Jewish writings call it the Messianic Age. If we get more on Proof Jesus is Messiah, you can go to ccog.org. Now, there's something called a midrash, which means an exposition or investigation. This is a Jew, from a Jewish source, from a rabbi, says, six eons were going in and coming out for war and peace. The seventh e- eon is entirely Shabbat, for rest everlasting. Now, I want to read something from the uh, uh, Leviticus 25. Now, you don't have to go there. Start in verse 1, God talks about keeping a Sabbath. Six years you'll sow your field. And uh, the seventh year you'll have a Sabbath of solemn rest, a Sabbath of the Lord. So It's called the land Sabbath. Okay? Now Protestants, such as uh, Matthew Henry's commentary, have pointed passages in Levit- Leviticus 25 as part of the reason uh, that uh, Jews believe the Bible teaches uh, a 6,000-7,000-year plan. So it says, the law of Moses, great deal stress upon the Sabbath, the earliest and most ancient of divine institutions, designed for keeping up the knowledge and worship of the Creator among men. The law not only revived the observance of the weekly Sabbath, but further advanced the honor of them, added a sabbatical year. In the seventh year, there'll be a Sabbath rest unto the Lord, and hence the Jews. Collect from the tradition that the, after the world has stood six thousand years, thousand years being as one day to God, it shall cease, and the eternal Sabbath will succeed. Uh, so, and then it says the sabbatical year began at, uh, in September at the end of the harvest, the seventh month of their year. Now, Leviticus 25, of course, is not complete proof, but it does provide some scriptural uh, support for that belief. Now. Consistent with the view of early Christians and some associated with them, some believe that since God made or uh, recreated the world in six days and rested on the seventh day, the humans have six thousand years to live on the earth under Satan's influence. And the reigning humans, those who survived, will have, have a thousand-year period under uh, uh, be a thousand-year period under Christ's reign. And so 6,000 years plus 1,000, 7,000 years under uh, God's plan. Uh, you're probably familiar with these scriptures. I'll read uh, Psalm 90, verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past. And in the New Testament, we see from Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. You don't have to go there. It says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. Now this is relevant for a couple of other reasons and this is something that I've noticed that uh, particularly Protestant uh, ministers don't seem to understand very well. Uh, speaking of Protestants, we have a book, Hope of Salvation, How the Continuing Church of God Differs from Protestantism, because we are not Protestant. Uh, people would actually uh, look at uh, the Bible, truly believe in Sola Scriptura, they would realize many Protestant doctrines are not based on that, that's what this book goes into, as well as some history. We also have a shorter book just on church history to demonstrate that what we teach in the continuing Church of God is consistent not only with Scripture but with the beliefs of the early Christians. Anyway, one issue on this 6,000 years and the 1,000 years being a day. If you go to Genesis chapter 2, I'd like to read verses uh, 16 to 17. This will be from the New King James Version of the Bible. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you shall eat of it, you'll surely die. Well, the 24-hour day that Adam ate this, he lived. So is God's word false? Well, and he lived a long time, actually. If you go to Genesis 5, verse 5, you don't have to go there. But it says, So all the days that Adam lived were 932 years, and he died. So, for Adam to die in a day, it had to be that Adam would have died in a day that was up to a thousand years. And Adam didn't live over a thousand years, so he did die in the day, because a thousand years is part of God's plan. Now, based upon certain calculations I'm aware of, and I have gone through and done it myself, as well as looked at writings of others, about how long uh, the Old Testament teaches certain things were based on certain people were begotten, when certain kings reigned, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, It seems like that either Adam and Eve were created and or left the Garden of Eden somewhere between 3959 and 3972 uh, uh, B.C. That would mean when Jesus began to preach, which is probably 27 A.D., uh, 4,000 years later, he began to teach uh, late in uh, the day day four and then into day five uh, day four is the middle of uh, seven prophetic thousand year days so it's not a last day okay and so if you think of our calendar uh, for our weeks uh, we got Monday, way week on them Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday. Wednesday, the fourth day, is the middle day. It's not the last day. So Jesus uh, started at the end of the uh, middle day, but then continued to preach into the, uh, uh, the fifth day, and that makes it the last days. So thus, the days five and six would be considered the last days by the apostles, the last 2,000 years. And if so, this helps explain things like, it says Acts chapter 2. i want to go to Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you, and heed my words. These are not drunks, you suppose? It's only the third hour of the day. But this was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Oh, the last days, the fifth and sixth day of the 6,000-year plan. But I want you specifically to go to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. I'm not going to read much there, but this verse is so, so important. Please, go there. You can see that when I read this, particularly if I stumble over a word or two, uh, that this is what Scripture teaches. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in in time past, to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things if there's no 6,000 year plan for human rule followed by a thousand year millennial reign the New Testament statement about about then being in the last days doesn't make any sense or makes little sense but because God does have a 7,000 year plan they do make sense now notice that Jesus according to Hebrews 1, was preaching in the last days. So he must have been doing some of that in day 5 of the uh, uh, seven, one thousand year days. Now, since Acts chapter 2 seems to have been in 31 AD, or perhaps 30 AD, this would suggest that the 6,000 years should be up by 2031, if not earlier. And, you know, Jesus was alive before 31 A.D., so perhaps the last days began as early as uh, 28 A.D. Or, or, or 30 A.D. Now, I should mention there's two types of last days mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, when some were they there in the last days, they were that indicates the latter days of the 7,000-year uh, week. So, however, in some other places... New Testament writers sometimes referred to the final generations being the last days. Uh, so that's a little bit different. But the end is coming soon. And presuming there's a 6,000 year plan and the last days tie into it the uh, way we've been discussing we are getting to the point where yes, this whole idea about uh, uh, something could happen around 2025 is valid. It's the earliest time I believe that the power will be given from Satan to the beast is 2025. I've uh, felt that way for uh, this past year. What do you mean this past year? What about before then? Well, it was possible for prior year. But every time, every time we go another year, you have to look out and see if the signs that Jesus said were going to happen before the Great Tribulation had started had happened. And certain signs have not happened yet. But they're possible. It's possible that certain signs, such as, for example, the confirmation of a, a peace deal associated with the, the Middle East, consistent with uh, Daniel 9, 26 and 27, could happen sometime in 2021. If it were, uh, let's say in the fall, if you had three and a half years of that, you get 2025. And that could be when the beast will rise up. Now, I'm not saying the beast has to rise up then, nor technically is Hebrew prophecy. Hebrew prophecy says that the, the Yuga Kali will end in 2025. Now, I don't know if it means beginning of 2025 or the end of 2025. So maybe they think the Bhagwan Kalki will rise up in 2026. But either way, 2025, 2026 is consistent with what is possible here, uh, as I speak this in January of 2021. right? Again, I'm not saying for sure this has to happen, but I do believe there are reasons to give strong consideration to it. And if, and if, the beast rises up in 2025 or 2026, or even if it's 2027 or 2028, it's very likely that the Hindus are going to say, ah, yes, the Bhagwan Kalki is supposed to rise up. Somebody with a white horse type figure is with him. Yes, we're supposed to accept this. We've been waiting for this for some time. So, this is one of the reasons why I want to tie this in with uh, Hindu and Indian prophecies, as well as to mention the fact that, yes, the Roman Catholics have shown a distinct willingness to compromise on many matters to bring the Hindus in, as well as tell the Hindus, oh, you can have those particular beliefs, and you can pray to your gods, Uh, One thing about Hinduism is they've got lots of gods. And it kind of reminds me of the fact within uh, the Roman Catholic faith they have many what they call saints. They have all kinds of saint days for various things. And Hindus have lots of them as well. Many of the saints that the Roman Catholics adopted were basically uh, Greco-Roman pagan deities and they just kind of changed their name and a couple other little things about them and they still kept going on. It wouldn't surprise me it's the same type of thing as told the Hindus. I just call them uh, uh, Roman Catholic saints because uh, Roman Catholics have saints for just about everything and the Hindus have gods for it seems like almost um, gods or goddesses for just about everything. Uh, and by the way, some of the Roman Catholic saints are female. <laughs> so, you know, you can tie those all, all together. I do believe the end is coming fairly soon and I do see more and more signs and indications of it. Now, I'd like to uh, go to the book of Matthew. Chapter 24. Jesus warned about a future time of great tribulation. Verse 21. For there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world, until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect saint, those days will be shortened. Now, since this great tribulation will affect the whole world, it will affect Indians as well. It's going to start with the Babylonian European King of the North Beast Power invading the United States and some of its uh, Anglo allies. Uh, You can demonstrate if it's going to happen within the next decade It's the United States, because if you go to Daniel 11, verse 39, it talks about the King of the North going against the power with the strongest fortresses and the strongest military, which currently would be the United States. And the Bible reveals that uh, the King of the North is going to be successful. Now, let's go to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 16. Even though this uh, end-time Babylonian beast power it will be successful against the United States, and for a time, but only for a time, the world wars with the beast, this ain't going to last. Revelation 16, starting in verse 17, says, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake. Such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts. The cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not formed. And great hail fell from heaven upon men. Such hailstones. Wait about a talent, men blaspheming God because of the plague of hail, since the plague was exceedingly great. Now God's going to send punishments to get all humans, including the Indians, to repent. But most will refuse to it. Matter of fact, if you go a few verses up, Revelation 16 verse 9 says, and men were scorched with great heat. Uh, Yes, there will be massive global warming, by the way. Men will be scorched with great heat which, by the way, this prophecy shows that they're not going to be able to stop this from happening and actually probably do things to make it worse. And they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. The Bible tells about a time when there'll be a 200 million man army from the, of the kings of the uh, east in uh, Revelation nine sixteen. They're going to gather at Armageddon, and those who are persuaded by demonic signs and wonders are going to fight against returning Jesus. They're going to be destroyed. It's going to take a long time to bury them. Seemingly, some people in India, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, uh, etc. are going to be among those who provide troops for this. However, in order to give light to people such as the Indians, God's going to provide a strong witness to the entire world during the time of the Great Tribulation and the Day of the Lord. So why don't you go to Revelation chapter 11 verses 3 to 4? And one of the reasons I held this particular book up when I started to say that is the Bible says, "This gospel that can be preached to the world's a witness before the end. The end will come." Jesus said that. Which means people in India will get a witness of this gospel. It's one of the reasons why we have this particular booklet in as many languages as we do. So they will have a witness. Hopefully they won't discount it. Now, before I read Revelation 11, I want to make a couple of comments. I want to tell people, whether you're Hindu or not, most people do not understand true original biblical Christianity. The Church of Rome change things. And the Protestants who claim they believe Scripture, they have too many doctrines that show that they don't. So if you are Hindu or Muslim or something uh, other than uh, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox uh, or uh, Protestant, don't think that what passes for nominal Christianity is what Christianity is or was all about. Okay, so don't dismiss the truth about the Bible and Christianity, the truth about Jesus. Again, you can actually prove Jesus is the Messiah. And you don't actually even have to believe the Bible in order to do it. Although, if you do, it makes parts of this book easier (laughs) to to believe. But actually, you can prove Jesus was the Messiah. So there will be a witness, and hopefully uh, many in India will accept this. Uh, But let me go here and read... uh, what I wanted to from Revelation 11. Starting verse 3, God's word said, I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, two lampstands standing before the God of earth. So they're going to, God's going to have during this time, of the great tribulation of the day of the Lord, two witnesses getting a message out, telling people, look, those are signs and lying wonders, don't fall for it. And uh, verse 7 says, when they finish their testimony, the beast that comes out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. If you're from India and you haven't repented by this stage, verse 8 says, and their bodies will lie in the street, the great city which was spiritually called Sodom in Egypt, where our Lord was also crucified. Then those, then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their bodies to be put in their graves. But those bodies will rise up, and that will also be a witness, but by then for most people it will be too late, they won't truly repent. Now, the Bible is clear in Revelation 7, verse 9, that people of all nations, tribes, Peoples and tongues are going to respond to God's calling and, and from information from the two witnesses during the time of the Great Tribulation of the Day of the Lord, and that would include people with Indian background. Now, lest anyone have the wrong impression that the Indians aren't a discerning people, it needs to be understood they're going to be among the first who's going to recognize the falsehood of the beast, European power. However, there would also be uh, increased military cooperation among those in Asia including some from the uh, Indian background. Indians and other Asians are going to determine, realize that the European beast power, called the King of the North in the Bible as well, is not to be worshipped or trusted. And How come we know this? Well, we can go to uh, Daniel chapter 11. In Daniel chapter 11, starting in verse 40, we see a coming conflict between somebody called the king of the north and the king of the south. And in this conflict, you go through the verses, you find out that the king of the south loses. The king of the north has uh, many ships, powerful army. He wins. But in verse 44 it says, News from the east and north are going to trouble him. Now, if you think about Europe, What's the only th- places that are east and north? Well, east includes Asia, because uh, Europe runs up against Asia, so to the east of Europe is Asia, and to the north you've got uh, Russia, who's to the far north. So we see that, news- that east and the north are going to trouble him This is the king of the north, and uh, he's going to come to his end. And this is partially because those in India, and China, and Russia... Amongst other places, they're going to see that this king of the Northeast power is not what he claims to be. Now, even though Indians are going to be engaged in war, uh, war is not their ultimate destiny. Uh, Deification is. And we actually have a book called Universal Offer of Salvation. And a lot of people do not realize that God has a plan of salvation that's going to work for just about everybody, including the Indians. Now, I realize there are many, let's say Protestants and Roman Catholics throughout history have said, the billions who died of India, it's too bad they didn't know Christ and they're going to be doing to suffer for eternity. Early Christians didn't teach that. That was not part of the original faith. Now, yes, there are people like Martin Luther who condemned this belief, but early uh, Christians did teach this. And this is documented in this particular book. Not only are there hundreds of scriptures in here, there are uh, quotes from ancient historical writers as well as modern historical writers that demonstrate early Christians believe what I just said. Now, Hindus themselves might like this idea because the Bible actually does talk about a physical reincarnation, but not to become uh, a cow or, or something else again in another life but that all who did not have an opportunity for salvation will have a salvation opportunity for salvation in the age to come now i think you shouldn't wait that long i think people should respond to god in this age because god has a plan people who respond in this age will help people in the millennial kingdom they get an extra thousand years uh, to be deified than those who were called later many many other benefits but we the continuing church of god do not teach that people who were born in India, or China, or Vietnam, Thailand, Asia, uh, uh, Africa, uh, scattered islands, and people who never heard of Jesus, never knew the true gospel, are going to be condemned for what they didn't know. Jesus said those who were blind uh, would have an excuse. And God has a plan. Jesus, by the way, also taught about the age to come. Now, the turning against the beast may happen once a loathsome sword comes on those who worship the beast or have his mark. That's Revelation 16, verse 2. And that's going to affect some in Asia. And by this time, Indians are going to realize that when some of these things happening in chapter 16 of Revelation happen, that this you know these great Western leaders aren't what they cracked up to be. Uh, now, I mentioned that according to Revelation 9, Chapter 9, 16, it looks like people in India will be going against uh, this beast. Even some Roman Catholic writings support this. They have a countess, Francesca de Brillante, who said she sees yellow warriors and red warriors marching across Europe. Europe will be completely covered with a yellow fog that will kill the cattle of the fields. These nations that rebelled against the law of Christ, she claims, will will perish by fire. Europe will then be too large for them to survive. Well, that's not really true, but that's just her prophecy. Uh, Here's one from Nostradamus. Great Asiatic Empire will spread across the sea and continents to destroy the Christian world. Well, it's not the Christian world that will be destroyed, it will be the world that won for the beast. Now, after these battles and punishments, by the way, the tribulation will end. Now, let's go to Matthew 24. So immediately after the tribulation of the days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not get its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers heaven will be shaken. So after the tribulation, you've got these uh, other events happening. We call these the day of the Lord based on various other scriptures. Then verse 30, then the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, power and great glory. So everybody's going to be happy that Jesus is going to return. You don't have to go there, but Revelation 19, verse 16 says he's, uh, he has uh, a robe and on his thigh, his name written is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Because he can be in charge of everything. And this is going to usher in a 1,000 year period of time. We'll go to Revelation chapter 20 to read about that. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the image, of, worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, but the rest of the dead did not live until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. And I'm encouraging all to want to do that. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. I mentioned Revelation uh, 7, verse 9. I'm going to read it here. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Yes, people in India and China and other parts of the world are going to respond. Now, after the thousand years is up, uh, all will be resurrected. So let's go to uh, Revelation 20, verse 7, if you're still there. It says, When a thousand years has expired, Satan will be released from his prison. He'll go forth to deceive the nations of four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them to battle, whose numbers are the sand of the sea. He went up to the breath of the earth and surrounded the army of saints. the saints. Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil was uh, cast in the lake of fire of brimstone. To be tormented. Now, verse 11, I saw a white throne. This is not that white horse, this is a white throne. And him who sat on it, from whom the face of the earth and heaven fled away. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave it, the dead were in it. Death and Hades delivered up, the dead was in them. And they were judged each according to his works. Everybody who doesn't come up in the first resurrection will be judged in the second resurrection. But it's my hope and prayer that uh, uh, by the end of the Great Tribulation, millions, if not bi- millions of people, probably not billions, but millions uh, will have responded to the a message of the two witnesses. Uh, there's uh, angels' messages as well some other things happening. And that many from the Indian peoples will be among them. Now, Protestants and Catholics tend to feel correctly that God uses ministers to preach. You can read about that in Romans 10, verse 14. But in Isaiah 6, 9 to 11, it shows that it's not always clear. And here's what Isaiah was inspired to write. Go tell this people, keep on hearing but not understand, keep on seeing but do not perceive, make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. Then said I, How long? And he answered, Until the cities are weighed laced, and without inhabitant, the house without a man, the land is utterly desolate. In other words, the bulk of humanity is not going to understand God's plan until after a time of great desolation, which will happen during the great tribulation of the day of the Lord. You say, well, wait a second, people in India, not Hindus, don't they worship idols? Well, Isaiah writes about that. Chapter 44, starting verse 17. And to the rest, oh, yeah, and to the rest he makes it into a god. A car, his carved image. He bows down before it and he worships it. Prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my god. They do not know nor understand. For he has shut their eyes so they cannot see and their hearts, so they cannot understand. Now if you go to chapter 45, verse 20, they have no knowledge who carry wood of their carved image, and they pray to God that cannot save. The Bible teaches, however, that those who even worship idols will be offered salvation. And we go into great depth about that in this particular, particular book. The vast majority of human beings that have ever lived will be in the kingdom of God. And let me read a little bit about how it's going to ultimately be. This will be after the millennial kingdom, what I like to call the second part of the kingdom of God. Revelation 21, starting verse 2. Tonight, John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, "Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away." This is going to be a fantastic time beyond the positive time Hindus are hoping will happen with the rise of the Bhagwan Kulki, this warrior leader who will not truly represent the faith of Jesus or what's taught in the Bible. Now, some have had an attitude that roughly... God seems to favor those of uh, the Western world. And, you know, those who lived in the East, and those in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, and places in the, in the really far North, uh, you know, that's, that's too bad. God didn't call them. Uh, they were born to pagan parents or unbelieving parents, and they never heard about Jesus, and they died, so they're all terrible people, and they all need to suffer eternally. Um, some people get that idea because they've concluded improperly that what passes for nominal Christianity is mostly a religion that uh, came from the Middle East and went into Europe and that people of European heritage kind of spread it around and therefore it's the European types are the preferred people and yeah it's nice if you know we get some of these other people who are uh, other colors but it's just too bad if they, they don't make it. Well, that's not how a God of love thinks. I want to go to uh, Luke chapter 13. I want to uh, start with verse 29 uh, here. So a lot of people don't seem to understand this particular passage. Jesus taught, They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. So indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. Now, we read this first part of that again. They will come from the east and the west, and from the north and the south. Notice he didn't say, now, the vast majority are going to come from the west. Yeah, we'll have a couple of token people from the north, and a few token people from the south and a few token people from the East. Uh, No, when I read this, from the East and the West, from the North and the South, kind of gives me an idea, as Apostle Peter said, God is not a respecter of persons. So, will people from the East include lots and lots of Indians? I believe so. I believe that probably uh, billions of Indians will be saved. Now, I don't know how many Indians have actually been, but my calculations and I've looked at certain models and various things on how many people have ever been. Uh, I suspect there have been uh, over 2 billion uh, Indians. Pretty sure that's true. And at, at least 2 billion will be saved. We believe that everybody has to accept Jesus uh, for salvation, by the way. We do not teach universal salvation, which means no matter what you did, if you don't repent and accept Jesus, that you'll be saved. But we do teach that during the time of the great white throne judgment, all who ever lived who had not accepted Jesus will be Jesus about Jesus and God's plan of salvation, and most will accept it. We believe it will be over 99%. Anyway, for more information about God's plan of salvation, which also includes the Indians, I strongly recommend that you study our free online book, Universal Offer of Salvation. And if uh, you're you're Protestant, you may also want to read our book, Hope of Salvation. How come we're not Protestant? And If you wonder about Christianity, what it was really like, we also urge you to read our book, Continuing History as a Church of God. God has a plan for the Indians. And I find it interesting that they have prophecies that point to a leader rising up who sounds like the beast of revelation pretty close to the same time. Satan has got a plan. He's deceived people. He'll use signs and lying wonders to deceive them. But the good news is God does have a plan of salvation. And salvation will be offered to all who ever lived, including those of Indian heritage. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.